Hello and welcome to this interview special episode of Tech EU podcast. I am your host Andre Degeler and today I would like to play you two interviews with European startups recorded by our beloved editor Robin Wouters. The companies that we want to feature in this episode are very very different and they kind of show the different growth paths for European companies. And the first one, bootstrapping its way to commercial success, is the vocabulary learning startup called Drops. Hey, this is Robin Walters from Tech.eu and I'm joined here remotely, this time from Budapest, Hungary, uh, by Daniel Farkas from a company that's called Drops. Daniel, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit more about Drops. My pleasure. Yeah, so Drops is basically a mobile app that uh, that teaches vocabulary, plain and simple. And this is actually uh, our secret sauce that we are uh, solely focused on vocabulary, not trying to tackle grammar uh, or the whole aspect of, of the language learning spectrum. Yeah, this company is um, kind of a special one, or I would say an odd egg. We are not really playing according to the Silicon Valley playbook. We are walking according to our own drums. So we are, first of all, we are a fully remote company. We are at 22 uh, people headcount. And yeah, we have uh, drops as a project hasn't received any outside funding. So this is basically a bootstrap project and uh, we've been profitable from day one. And yeah, we are trying to be the ultimate vocabulary learning tool for the world. That's actually awesome. So completely bootstrapped. And when did you start a company? Yeah, so Drops was started around five years ago. There was a there was a predecessor product, uh, like a, like a, a failed product, which was called Learn Invisible. We started that eight years ago. So there there's been a pivot, and uh, and Drops proved to be the real deal. I, I can talk about what what uh, went wrong uh, with this other project and what we what we nailed uh, with Drops. So there's been some some lessons learned throughout the journey. Yeah, was the previous project also in the language learning space or was it a complete offshoot? Correct, it was it was a language learning app as well. It was very it was quite similar visually to drops, but it was it was different. It was different in the in the teaching mechanics. So basically the whole idea behind uh, learning visible, that was the project name of that, was to teach words the most efficient way. So I myself is a big learning nerd. I'm not just interested in, in uh, language learning in general, but I'm also like, I'm most interested in the, in the meta layer of, of learning, basically learning anything the most efficient way. So I try to inject my obsession of learning how to learn into, into language learning and more specifically vocabulary learning. And, um, and we we basically decided to to build an app around this this concept, just just learning words, right? And uh, and one of the uh, efficient ways to acquire abstract things is to connect them into uh, a very direct association. In this case, uh, these are these are illustrations, right? Like this is the clearest path connecting one notion into the meaning. So let's say I'm saying apple, which is an abstract thing, uh, and and we we are connecting it uh, directly to the picture of the apple, to the meaning, right? So that was the underlying principle upon which we are we built up uh, that previous product. And of course, this is this is in the core of Drops as well. Now, and we also added a lot more uh, like didactic magic, and I think it was it was quite effective. But there was one catch: uh, it wasn't sticky enough. So it was beautiful, it was effective, but it turned out that users uh, don't use it. Like they try it once, uh, maybe twice, but they don't come back. 
So that was a that was the epiphany that um, no matter how effective your product is, if it's not sticky enough, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, the effect effectiveness doesn't matter. And I have to admit to you that um, it was really hard to accept the the reality. I mean, it took us a good two years uh, until we we really yeah accepted the the the, the sad truth that uh, this this is not a good product, right? Uh, a good product is used by the the, uh, the users. Uh, it's not just uh, a good theory; it's it's actually practical. So we went back to the drawing board and uh, and tried to figure out what is missing. What is the missing ingredient? How can we how can we bring the the stickiness factor into our product? And uh, and basically, what you see in drops is the is the end result. Basically, we decided okay. So we took the example of games. I mean, we know that games could be extremely addictive. Just think about Candy Crush, Clash of Clans, et cetera, et cetera. So they are really, really addictive. And we were, we were experimenting with these. Uh, we, we tried to reverse engineer what makes these games that addictive. So we, we figured out a couple of, uh, couple of factors and we built a package, a, a true game around this, uh, this visual vocabulary teaching method. And yeah. Drops came alive, and it, it it's pretty much a game. And this is this is one of our biggest differentiator compared to the to the other players in this language learning space. Is that we are we are, we are an actual game. We are not just a, a thin layer of gamification sprinkled on top of a language course uh, with badges and uh, achievements and and points and streaks. But uh, Drops is actually a game. So there is a huge difference between uh, the game mechanics and gamification. Of course. Drops also has some game, gamified elements. We, we are also game plus the gamification, but a uh, game like like gamification is an extra, gives gives users an external motivation. And I'm not saying it's not effective, uh, but the game itself is intrinsic, right? Like you are you are enjoying the process of playing. You are not you are not doing the action because you are going to receive a badge at the end of the session. But you're enjoying the the whole process, and that's the that's the concept. That that was our bet that we should we should build a proper game while uh, maintaining the effectiveness factor of the of the previous product. Yeah, I can also see that when I look up information about uh, the app, which you know you say that you make language learning fun and easy, which is something that I think all the language uh, learning applications out there sort of. Uh, claim that they do, but not everyone uh, managed to, to nail that, that aspect of it. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think, like, if you learn a language, separating the vocabulary from everything else, like the grammar, uh, specific context, etc., also also sort of only gives you one, one aspect of language learning and, and not the whole not the whole spectrum, of course. So how, what does your typical user actually use Drops for? What are they trying to learn? How, how, how long do they stick with the app? Is this a thing that they use for months or years? Is it really uh, something that you sort of use to get started? Or can you definitely learn like a whole language or at least the basics of it using the app? Yeah, so so we definitely don't claim that you can uh, you can be fluent with Drops and you can learn a language as a whole. We say... And this is again one of our bets against the other players on the market. So Drops want to do one thing, but it, it wants to do it really, really well, which is vocabulary acquisition. And vocabulary acquisition is a is a key part of, of the language learning journey. But you need, of course, grammar. You need you need sentence building. But but we we say that uh, that the mobile apps and, and software in general 
is uh, is not necessarily the best way to learn the whole of the language. Uh, I think I think language is uh, is a human interaction uh, based genre, uh, and I, I it, it just doesn't make sense to me to to practice conversations by by speaking to a mobile device, right? I think mobile devices are great, or or mobile apps are great for teaching one specific. So they are they are wonderful to teach uh, this traditionally boring aspect of language learning, which is which is picking up vocabulary. And you need vocabulary at each stage of your language learning journey, whether you are a beginner, an intermediate user, or learner, or, a, or an advanced one. You're going to need to pick up fresh new vocabulary. As a beginner, you need to build a, the foundation so you can start practicing it. And as an advanced one, of course, you need to elaborate. You, you want to elaborate your, your vocabulary as you, as you proceed so, so you can express yourself um, in a higher resolution way. So, so we are saying that we want to provide a really enjoyable, basically we want to sugarcoat this uh, traditionally boring aspect of language learning, which is uh, learning words. And you can't really spare uh, the repetition aspect of it. I mean, you need these drills, uh, but we want to package it in a way that it's, uh, even if it's not easy, because like, I mean, there are some games that are not easy. You are still enjoying it, right? So so the whole point is is, is to in, enable learners to acquire this really difficult part of, of language learning in a, in a really pleasant way. And uh, and they're also saying that drops is explicitly like an auxiliary tool. It's not it's not supposed to be used only to to get fluent. You should and that that's actually what our users are saying that it, uh, drops is used by uh, used by them with uh, with other tools like uh, like Duolingo or Babbel, like like the the courses, the language learning courses, which provide you um, sentence building, conversation, and of course uh, we think the best way to to um, supplement drops using drops by by an actual by, by by using an actual tutor, right? Like an actual human being. I think that's the best way to to learn conversation, to build sentence building, to learn grammar. Because again, that's that's the context how you are going to use the language. Right. So in many ways, it's complementary rather than, right. than exactly. Um, so um, can you do? Would you mind sharing some numbers? Like how many users do you have? How many languages do you support? Like well, you know, you you bootstrap, so you've raised zero in funding. But what does that mean for your business? Can can you actually uh, probably scale? Have have you been contacted by investors? Like, tell us a little bit more about that. Right, right. Okay, I'll I'll start with the uh, with the user numbers or usage, and then then languages, and then the business aspect. So uh, we are approaching uh, twenty million, twenty five million download mark, and this this is uh, this is for purely organic sources. So. Uh, I would say 99% organic sources, which means we haven't paid for these users. So we got we got quite good at uh, app store optimization, and we are in a really good relationship with both Apple and Google. So they are frequently uh, promoting us and uh, and highlighting us. So Drops has been app of the day, app of the year actually in in 2018 on on Google. It won uh, material design awards. So we are receiving these uh, these promotions uh, from these guys. And yeah, we are looking for the next uh, next big uh, distribution channel and, and user acquisition source uh, in these very days. So we are 
uh, we are building out these new avenues. As for the languages that we are teaching, I think we are in a really good place on the market in terms of, uh, in terms of the sheer number of languages that we are teaching. We are at 42 languages. It's, it's quite staggering. We just introduced uh, Bosnian. This is the newest edition today. So it's, uh, it's so fresh. It was, it was introduced two hours ago. So, so scaling up, uh, introducing new languages is one of our fortes because uh, it's really easy for us. It's uh, exactly because we are only teaching vocabulary, scaling up uh, language editions is, is really easy for us. Like if we, if we really want, we can introduce uh, a new language in a matter of three weeks. For the big guys, it takes uh, like months, right? So yeah, uh, that's about the languages. And we are, we are teaching, of course, uh, besides the usual suspects, the word languages, which is uh, like uh, Spanish, uh, English, French, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We are teaching some really exotic languages, uh, including Icelandic, um, including um, Hawaiian, including Maori. And yeah, we also, we just introduced uh, a couple months ago, a very special one, an indigenous language of, uh, of Japan. It's called Ainu, and it has only 14 native speakers. So uh, we are also kind of uh, have this mission to preserve these, uh, these dying languages that, that nearly go, go extinct. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's such a good feeling. I mean, of course, introducing, like, say, let's say Ainu, uh, we are not doing it for for business reasons. You can imagine how many how many people want to learn uh, Ainu specifically, but uh, but given the fact that we are a bootstrap company, there is no uh, investor pressure. Uh, we can we can have these fun additions just because uh, it 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 makes us feel good, right? Yeah. And I can I can I can pivot into the into the business aspect of the company. I don't want to uh, um, disclose specific revenue numbers. Uh, what I can say that we've been profitable from from day one, and uh, our finances are really really healthy. I mean, we have more than two years of operational buffer in the bank, uh, which means we have uh, yeah we have a nice uh, war chest. And yeah, you asked better we were contacted by investors. Yes, uh, the answer is yes. So we have a good forty. VCs uh, on our list who, who approached us and, and wanted to throw, out, throw some money at us. Unfortunately, we don't need that money. So right now, uh, we are good. Um, I'm not saying that uh, our growth is slow. So I think we, we, we are on a, on a really decent growth trajectory. It's just, and, I'm not, and I'm also not saying that we are not considering raising uh, VC money in the, in the future in the near future or, or the, the midterm future. Uh, what I can say that up to this point, we, we didn't need it, uh, this extra uh, capital infusion. That's great. That's awesome. Uh, two more numbers. How many languages have you learned and how many people are working for the company at the moment? Yeah, I speak three languages, but I, I started to learn like, I don't know, eight. Like I, I started uh, Icelandic, I started uh, Danish, I started some Chinese, uh, German. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really... Next up, Ainu. Maybe, maybe. I mean, the thing is that I, I kind of know the very basics of every single language that we, that we introduced because at the beginning of the of the company, I was the one who who was responsible for content. So I I I I, I had to do some research uh, on all these languages, and I have this secret ambitions to know at least um, like ten or twenty words in every single language that uh, that I'm uh, that we are teaching. But this is a this is a stretch goal, and I. Unfortunately, I don't have uh, too much time on my hands these days. Yeah, the company is growing, and also I have two kids, as I as I mentioned to you. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> yeah. quite big. Great. And uh, how big is your staff at the moment? 
Yeah, so we are at 22 people right now. And the thing is that uh, uh, this Thai team is is really, really conscious. Like this was a conscious decision uh, by me and uh, my co-founder to keep the team size really small and compact. And it doesn't mean that we are not aiming for huge impact. It only means that that we think, our, according to our philosophy, uh, if you if you want to move fast and react quickly to to new things and introduce new uh, things uh, into the product, we need this very agile team because decision making in in this small team is is like blazingly fast. Like literally, mm-hmm. again, if we decide to introduce a new language, like today, there's a decision made, and in three weeks we would we would uh, launch it within the app. That's great. And then you also mentioned that they're, they're all working remotely. Effectively, you've been remote from day one, uh, which sort of brings you to the next topic, which is, of course, the global coronavirus pandemic that's uh, still uh, raging around the world. Uh, given the fact that you're in the ad tech space, um, you know, language learning on mobile, given the fact that you're already used to working remotely, and so you had sort of an advance to, to some of your uh, competitors out there, that must mean that for the business, at the very least, the last few months have been actually quite good, no? Right, right. Yeah, so we enjoy the same uh, surge in, in demand as uh, as other um, education education apps and uh, and businesses. So our download download numbers uh, increased almost by by forty percent. Our our uh, revenue increased by fifteen uh, percent. So it's been quite a quite a, a big nice uplift. Of course, it's um, it's going back to normal. Not exactly to normal, uh, so obviously it's still a, a bit uh, elevated level. Uh, so there's a new benchmark. Uh, obviously, I, I don't think the world is going to return to the to the to the old normal. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure this was a really good catalyzer for for teachers to 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 look out for for the newest technologies. And um, there's going to be a bounce back, of course, but I don't think teachers are going to go back to the very same old school tools that they've used. So I'm really, uh, future is really promising. As for like how it affected our company and our workflow, basically. So as, as, as I mentioned, we are a fully remote team and um, being, we haven't really realized uh, anything special because that's, that's how we roll, right? Uh, even in non-pandemic times, so to say. There's one thing that... Uh, that really hurted us, and that is the absence of our quarterly offsites. So, uh, in our company culture and um, for the for the for the well-being of the of the team, it was really important to to meet each other in person every single uh, every every single quarter. So every every three months. So basically, we we picked the ma- uh, picked a location, um, usually Europe within Europe, and we we met there. Right, everyone flew in, and we had some good time. We did some, we did some planning, and it was extremely important. Uh, and we we really enjoyed it. But now, when it's gone, that was the time when we realized how valuable it is, uh, really. So that was kind of painful, uh, but uh, yeah, we survived somehow. Uh, so it's it's all good. Um, but yeah, we are really really looking forward to to meet each other again uh, physically. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so maybe final question about the future of the company. Uh, what can we expect, whether you raise funding or not in the future, what can we expect from the company in terms of uh, product or expansion or uh, mm-hmm. yeah, what's next for you? Right. Okay. So so Drop started as a, as a standalone app and it grew into basically a, a vocabulary teaching platform. So we have Drop, Drops, the, the flagship app. 
uh, it's present on iOS and, and Android, of course. We just introduced a, a spin-off of Drops called Droplets. It's, um, it's targeting kids, so it's fully COPA compliant. Basically, parents can manage uh, their kids' uh, curriculum. So they can invite uh, their kids um, into their account and can track their progress. So Droplets is really similar to Drops, same playful way of teaching, same visual approach of teaching vocabulary, with, of course, some twists. So the, the vocabulary is a bit different. So we are, we are looking at the, at the kids' market, obviously. Uh, then we, we also have an app called Scripts. Uh, Scripts is basically uh, trying to attack a, a, an even more narrow aspect of language learning, which is uh, teaching writing characters. Like, uh, for example, like uh, Japanese kanji, uh, Chinese hanzi, uh, Korean hangul, Russian Cyrillic. So that app is uh, dedicated to teach not just how to recognize and um, how to read these characters, but also how to write them. So especially in case of Asian characters like uh, Japanese kanji, like you need to know how many strokes the, the character consists of, what is the, the sequence with which you need to, to draw the, 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 the strokes. So there are, there are many, 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 many attributes that you need to learn and understand in order to replicate that character. And scripts became extremely, it, it was kind of a surprise for us. It, it became extremely popular. It was also app of the day uh, on the App Store, uh, promoted by Apple uh, in most of the countries uh, around the world. So besides that, we, we also introduced uh, the web version of Drops. So there's a web app. You can, you can use Drops in your browser. And uh, we are, are also launched uh, a web, another web-based product. It's a visual dictionary. It's called Drops Visual Dictionary. It's basically, as the name says, uh, a visual dictionary. Basically, we are, we are serving the content in Drops so, so language learners can, can basically browse the whole of the content that is, uh, that is, that is existing uh, within the apps. And, uh, and they, can, they can basically discover uh, new topics and yeah, navigate throughout the, the whole vocabulary that we are teaching. Yeah, another, another really interesting direction, uh, tackling a, a, a whole new market, which is not necessarily a language learning market. So last year, we introduced a travel talk, uh, which, is, which is targeting tourists. So we are calling them hyper-casual language learners because, again, as I mentioned, they, these people don't necessarily want to learn the whole of the language. But we believe, and that's what uh, our users are saying, like knowing a couple of phrases or words in a language where you are traveling to, the, the language of the country where you are traveling to, can greatly enhance the enjoyment of the travel, right? So basically, uh, by, by learning a couple of phrases on a plane ride, for example, through drops, by the time you are landing, you are going to be able to say thank you, goodbye, can I have a coffee? Can I have, um, I don't know, Apple, et cetera, et cetera. So you, basically you can, you can get connected to the locals. Even if, if it's a very basic level, this can be uh, the difference between a mediocre vacation and an epic adventure. Okay, well, that's a lot of initiatives uh, that you have planned. Uh, it was really great to, to learn more about the company. I'm uh, looking forward to following you on the rest of the journey as well. Um, also quite impressive that you've all done this without raising outside funding, which is sort of uh, not a given. Uh, even in, in Europe. So uh, congratulations for that. And thank you so much for sharing some insights on drops. Thank you, Robin.
Thanks a lot to Daniel and Robin for recording this one. Now, the second company in today's episode, Colibri, made headlines a few months ago as it got acquired by the gaming giant Ubisoft. This is not exactly going to be the main topic of the conversation, but we are going to learn more about idle games and why they are actually a big deal even in the pandemic. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this is Robin Waters from Tech.io, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, uh, by the Berlin-based Janusz Szadowski. He's one of the co-founders and co-CEO of a company called Colibri Games. Uh, it's a mobile game studio. It's based out of Berlin. And uh, after being founded four years ago in a student flat, it's been acquired earlier this year uh, in February 2020 by uh, French gaming giant Ubisoft. Uh, Janusz, thank you so much for taking the time to join the show. And maybe you can walk us through the, the history of the company yourself. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me here. Yeah, it's it's been a, a super exciting ride uh, so far. Um, we started the company in 2016. That was uh, still in in a small city in South Germany called Karlsruhe, and it was basically just a yeah student run operation. So we were five guys in a student apartment. Uh, we figured out gaming. It's super exciting for us. Uh, let's try to uh, found a company and, and make something there. And then it started very slowly there. At some point, uh, we released Idle Mind Tycoon, hired the first full-time people, moved to Berlin, then got millions of downloads. And now here we are. Yeah, yeah. you just said it yourself. You clocked over 100 million downloads for the one game, but actually in total across the games, maybe more than 160 million, uh, I think is the, the last uh, stat that I read, uh, which are quite impressive numbers. But can you tell people who don't know the games, can you sort of describe what the games are and what they, what they do, what they look like? Yeah, so, uh, so we're doing mobile games, exclusively mobile games, and kind of like the type of games we're doing, uh, it's called idle games, where uh, you build your kind of like, in the one game, it's a mining operation, in the other one, it's a kind of like a factory where you produce stuff, and it's more of this like, managed simulation type of game, but also very much of the gameplay is also happening when you're not actively playing. So when you, whatever, uh, setting the device aside and then just watch, uh, watch them work. Okay, that was going to be my next question. What is an idle game? But you, you sort of just explained it. So it's a game that sort of continues when you're not playing it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then every time you okay. come in one of our games, it says, ah, hey boss, you were away for whatever, eight hours. Uh, we worked hard. Uh, here's your money. Right. Well, that's very interesting to know. I actually didn't know that, so that's uh, that's quite interesting. Uh, another interesting aspect of this is that if if I think gaming and the gaming sector here in Europe, the first place that I would think of would not be Karlsruhe, uh, but it will also not be Berlin. So I'm wondering, like, how active and how big is the the gaming industry in Germany, for that matter? There are some gaming companies in Karlsruhe uh, as as well. So there's of course GameForge. Uh, where they had like, were one of the first that did browser games and I was a very heavy user back then in the days. Uh, there's also Flare games and I guess like three, four smaller, more indie-like studios. So there is stuff happening in, in Karlsruhe. And then of course, there's uh, a lot more happening in Berlin uh, in the gaming space with uh, big companies like Vuga or Huge. Uh, they just announced their IPO. And then, of course, kind of like not purely gaming, but uh, companies that are in the gaming space, like Adjust uh, and and uh, the kind of like more service provider. They're all based in, in Berlin. Yeah. 
Uh, one thing that I didn't see when I was looking up the, the backgrounds of the company was funding. Did you actually ever raise external rounds of funding? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's also an interesting one. Uh, so we, we tried, but then again, in the very first days, we were just some students working on something. And uh, at least from the outside, nobody saw, okay, this is, uh, this is a great team or this is a great idea. And then we, we didn't attract too much, uh, I guess, interest from investors. And we never came to a point where we were had a term sheet or something what we could sign. At some point, this, of course, changed when we had like quite some users uh, and with games, you, you can become very profitable in a short uh, time frame. And then, of course, we got lots of inbound interests uh, in like investment uh, for investments. But at that stage, we didn't really need it outside money. So, yeah, we were all bootstrapped. I actually really love this story and it, it, it comes up quite often. Like when you need the money, you can't raise it or, or it's too early. And then when you're actually getting traction, you no longer need it anymore, which of course is, is usually a very good time to actually raise investment. But I guess in your case, uh, Ubisoft, uh, the French gaming giant came knocking after four years and that was sort of, sort of it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, there was uh, at some point there was uh, quite some um, interest from VCs and investors. And uh, once they come, they... Of course, like there are a lot of like strategic companies like Ubisoft where they see, okay, there's a new startup or a new company coming up. They're doing something interesting. Our strategy is to move more and more into gaming and uh, let's just talk to them. And of course, like Ubisoft was, was one of them. Great. Well, uh, let's talk about the company, the way it looks like today. Like how many people, uh, I know you just opened the second studio, I think in Bucharest uh, in Romania. Um, so yeah, t- just tell us a little bit more about the business and also maybe how big the business is without going into too many details on revenue, etc. but just to give us an idea. Yeah. So, so right now we are around 120 uh, people, more or less uh, everyone in, in Berlin. We have a studio that just started in Bucharest, but that's... Uh, yeah, we just started a few weeks ago, so in the very beginning. It's, of course, like an interesting phase right now. So with uh, Idle Miner Tycoon as a flagship game where a lot of the team here in Berlin is uh, working on, we have new games coming up where we hire also quite, quite some people for that. Um, and that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, we will probably see the first releases in three, four months' time. And then looking really forward to that. Are you staying to the, the idle gaming uh, sector or do you want to also attack other niches? Yeah, idle, idle, this is, this is us. Uh, we really love idle. We really like the genre. So we're going to stay in there. I think there's, like, depending on the team, there's quite some creative iterations on what it means uh, to have an idle game. But uh, idle, is, idle is our thing. Yeah. Great. Uh, so let's talk more, more more about this Ubisoft uh, deal. Um, you were acquired at least a majority stake in the business. I think it was 75% at a valuation of about 160 million euros, I think I've read. I think there was an option for the company to fully buy you, uh, you know, if the numbers go up. Uh, that was, of course, right before the pandemic. So I'm wondering how has COVID sort of impacted the number of players and the number of downloads in those, you know, the recent months? Yeah, so COVID, of course, uh, all impacted us. And uh was for us as a business and an operation also interesting one where we switched from a very kind of like Berlin office centric company to a company that's very much like online and virtual. 
so that was uh, that was of course an interesting transformation. And from the gaming perspective, we saw an increase in interest of just like people probably sitting sitting at home and uh, maybe they're a bit bored because they can't really go out. And so we saw uh, more downloads and more play activity for our games. Yeah. So I'm guessing uh, Ubisoft is uh, really happy with the acquisition that they made just before, you know, the pandemic sort of uh, took the world by storm. But like, what, what does it actually mean in terms of uh, operations? Do they, they get heavily involved? Do you hear from them a lot? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so, so the idea with uh, Ubisoft as partner and why we like them so much and why we did choose them in the end is that they're having this global footprint. They have quite some knowledge there like a, a big company for the access for over 30 years, they, they know their stuff, they know gaming. So we really, really like that. But at the same time, they promised us entrepreneurial freedom so that we can uh, accomplish our, our vision, that we can make the big decisions for Colibri and that it's more like a family where we work together at some aspects, but also in some aspects we can decide to go on our own and do our own decisions that's quite exciting uh, to do that yeah yeah so you mentioned like if you work with a company with that kind of experience and sort of know-how built up over many years um, what would you say for you personally what has been the biggest learning the biggest takeaway of uh, things that you learned you know by working with Ubisoft Ubisoft they exist for that long and they're still they are publicly listed but they are still founder-led and that means a lot for us they're very long-term oriented. And then also we as a company never were kind of like that long-term oriented because it was always kind of like surviving, getting the new things out, uh, very sometimes too much short-term oriented. And with Ubisoft, uh, we have the chance to build up more cool and exciting stuff because we also have kind of like that long-term uh, vision where it is about, okay, we can invest in that new cool uh, technology for the next three, six, nine, 12 months now with Ubisoft. And we didn't dare to do it uh, when we were on our own. So that's, that's, I think the kind of like the mindset shift helps us the most when it comes to the Ubisoft partnership. Um, the other thing that I was wondering, because you opened a studio in Bucharest, and I know there's a ton of uh, talented people out there in Romania, which, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But I'm also wondering, does that mean that um, within Berlin, there was sort of a limit on the, the, the pool of talent that you could access to, to really grow the company? Yeah, so I guess Berlin is a, a super great place to attract talent uh, from all over the world. Uh, but as you say, like uh, everything has their limits and to grow faster, uh, you need to think about different options. And uh, one of the options uh, we considered was opening uh, up another office and we considered different countries and different cities and uh, Bucharest, the uh, choice fell to Bucharest also because Ubisoft is already in Bucharest. They helped us uh, set up all the like legal infrastructure, all the contracts. They know their stuff there. And uh, again, without Ubisoft, I think we didn't manage to do it because it's just so complex to set up a new studio in a different country with like an unclear uh, legislation. So Ubisoft helped us uh, there quite a lot. Um, also, uh, something that I was wondering from a, from a gaming uh, developer uh, perspective, uh, there's a lot of talk about the way that Apple and Google sort of um, 
you know, treats their development ecosystem with the on the App Store, etc. Uh, do you have any views on this, on the way things are evolving, or the way you think they should evolve? I, I mean, for us, it was always quite easy. So we started as a small company, had no idea about nothing, had no infrastructure, didn't even had money, and then it was okay. We managed to build the game with Unity. That's a free software. So we we built that up and we pushed it onto uh, the App Store and the Google Play Store. And they kind of like looking after credit cards, after payments, after like tax laws in different countries. And as a small company, there's no chance you can do it on your own. And from that perspective, it's kind of like we were quite happy that there is a thing like the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store uh, because it helped us uh, quite a lot in the very beginning. Yeah. And now, now that you're uh, sort of a bigger company and part of a much bigger company, um, do you uh, miss the day sometimes where you were sort of just building games out of your uh, student's lab? <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting question. In the, in the very beginning, of course, I, w I was like super hands-on and uh, working uh, on the game myself. And, and of course, now the company is too big to actually do that. We have better and smarter people and uh, I shouldn't work too much on the product uh, and stand in their way, I guess. So sometimes I miss that, but uh, that's also, I think, uh, something to grow up. Uh, so for us, it was always clear, okay, if you want to found a company, if you want to make games and make like games for millions of people out there, uh, at some stage, the company grows. At some stage, we have quite some people. And then it's our part to kind of like step back or step into another role where it's more uh, the managerial side of things and not so much on the hands-on uh, side of things. Uh, makes sense. And sort of in the in the same vein, uh, in terms of question, um, you're the co-CEO. Uh, you're in the minority because most companies sort of uh, have a founding team and one's the CEO and the rest of the roles are divided among the team. Uh, how does it actually work in practice to be co-CEO with someone, in this case, uh, Daniel Stammer? Yeah, I, I think that's probably only possible if you really know each other and you really trust each other. So that's the thing with Daniel. Um, we have kind of like the split. He's more on the product side, looking more after uh, looking more after the new games. How is it uh, from a production standpoint? And I'm looking more after all the services uh, like marketing, HR, recruiting, uh, community. In practice, this is often like a mix. Uh, he's helping me, I'm helping him. But I think that's only possible uh, because like we know each other for so long and we trust each other and this is a good thing we have. Yeah. And then maybe some questions about scaling uh, the company because once you reach a certain point, I'd say around 50, 60 people, uh, the general consensus is that it becomes sort of a more difficult for a company to sort of maintain its culture, to maintain the same processes that they would have in the beginning. So how has that affected you as a company to scale those operations to that point? Yeah, a company goes, I guess, through different stages and through different uh, scaling phases. And I remember we, at some point, we introduced, that was very early on, daily sure fix. So that was around, I think, um, 1.30 p.m. where the whole team is coming together and everyone is saying, one, two sentences, uh, what did I do in the morning and what do I do in the afternoon? And so everyone in the team is informed and knows, okay, what, what is going on? And I, it's quite funny. And we kept that, I think, till we were around 50 or 60 people. And like every, 
uh, every day when 30, 60 people were saying, okay, I did this and now I do this. Uh, and at some point that was uh, quite funny uh, because you forgot what number 15 said when you had a number 35 or something. And uh, of course, we uh, canceled the uh, large shoe freaks at some point then. But I guess what I wanted to say is you sometimes put these processes and these things in place when you're very small, maybe like five, 10 people team. And then uh, you need to think about it. Uh, do you want to change it uh, or do you want to keep it? And it's probably around like, with us, it was like around 30. We had to think about it at around 50, 60. We had to think about it. And now with over 100 people, there's also quite some change around uh, how we do things. So uh, what are some of the challenges that you face as a company now? Uh, what, what are some of the problems that you have at the moment uh, you know, that might hinder you in growing the business? Yeah, I, I think there's like several aspects. I think one aspect is how when you, when you look from a product perspective, we have, for example, Iron Man Tycoon, a large game, uh, millions of downloads, millions of players and of like, what is the next step there? How do we make it better every week with every sprint? So that's one challenge. One challenge is, of course, you want to put out new games. And with games, it's always difficult. The thing you thought of, does it really work on the market? Or is it just something that you kind of like build for yourself or build for the team? And everyone you ask finds it really cool, but not the global masses. Uh, so that's going to be a challenge. And then, of course, uh, the third point is with a growing company, you always have complexity and always have things that did work in the past but didn't work, don't work right now. And then you always has, have to iterate how is the structure of a company, what are the processes, and how, how do you do things. Uh, now, especially with kind of like two places with Berlin and Bucharest, like how do they interact? How can we align uh, both both uh, studios so that everyone is uh, is going in the same direction and that's uh, going to be of course also a challenge great well thank you so much for sharing these insights uh, maybe just a final question to conclude because we're you know giving out advice here uh, do you have any advice for entrepreneurs who are listening uh, who might be in the process of selling selling their company or or thinking of selling their company at some point what are some of the things that you've learned when you had those MA talks with Ubisoft that you didn't expect or that you didn't know about before you started? I think one of the most important things we learned and we, we did right was to bring in the right people. So we, uh, we hired Ross, our CFO, also for that kind of transaction because we, know, we knew him for quite some time and we knew he did these kind of processes before. And he really, really helped us a lot because in kind of like an M&A process, that's quite time consuming. That's also maybe quite stressful from an emotional standpoint. And then you still have to do your daily operational job. Daniel and I, we really could focus on our daily operations because we had Ross that did it. He did it before and he could help us there and keep our calendars clean and do most of the heavy lifting. So that was quite a good, good call to hire somebody that did it before and that knows how to do it. Yeah. 
seemed to have been a really good decision uh, because you made it work. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all the time we, we need from you. Uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join uh, the TechEU podcast and all the best with Call of Your Games uh, now that you're part of Ubisoft. Yeah, thanks for having me. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope that you enjoyed this one. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at podcast at tech.eu. I will talk to you again on Friday. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sane and do take care. Bye-bye.